today on Ag News Daily. Instead, we've got these tiny gas particles suspended in the body of one, not only dissolving, but also being able to participate in pretty physical chemical biological March 28th, 2023, Tuesday edition, Tech Tuesday. Delaney, we're going to have a conversation that I just, I kept, my brain kept running and running and running with all the possibilities here after we get done with headlines. Oh, I can't wait to hear it then, Tanner. Absolutely. But uh, it was good to see us get through our Monday, kick off the week the right way. And now we get to see what the rest of the week has in store for us. Yeah, and I think potentially we spoke too soon yesterday when we said we were going to have nice weather because I think parts of the Midwest and Northern Plains are going to get more snow, especially up in the Northern states, Tanner, as we're just weeks away from planting here. But uh, there is supposed to be quite a bit of snowfall in the Northern part of the U.S., which could longer term be the potential for flood risks. Uh, well above normal along the Mississippi River, as well as fuel concerns and possible prevent plant acres. Those are all spinning around in the minds of analysts and folks right now, but the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Spring Outlook shows the highest risk for major flooding on the Wisconsin and Minnesota border and where Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin meet. They said moderate flooding is possible across the Mississippi River Basin from the northern Corn Belt down through Missouri. So hopefully we don't see a repeat of 2019, but it does sound like this year has some elevated risks for flooding. Yeah, and I remember a week ago, Monday, we asked when we'd see this start affecting the markets. And he said, hang on for just a little bit longer until the first part of April. So we'll keep watching that. We know there is still a lot of moisture in the air. We've got dense fog advisories for that area we discussed yesterday in northern Kansas and southwest Nebraska. Other than that, it's always fun to keep up with the extreme ag team. Since they've got growers all around the United States, Chad Henderson's in Madison, Alabama. He is waiting for a little bit of his ground to dry out. He's got his strip till finished to where the planter can now roll when the conditions are right. But then Lee Lubers of Gregory, South Dakota, has the other problem that you just described. He's still looking to see if he can see the ground because of all the snow that he has. He said parts of snow banks were 10 to 15 feet tall there are areas now that are three to five feet deep the moisture has to go someplace and that leads right into the discussion you just shared about flooding well one area that doesn't have to worry about flooding tanner is argentina as they are experiencing one of the hottest and driest summers in decades we saw for the third full week of march 2023 ending march 25th that Maybe some promises lie ahead as they were getting some heavier rains. But according to Weather Trends 360, this was the second wettest third full week of March in 30 plus years for Argentina's main soybean producing region. So really drastic switch the other direction. Temperatures also turned more favorable last week for crops after a hotter start to the week and relatively cooler start ending to the second part of the week. But unfortunately, many analysts are saying the wetter weather and cooler temperatures arrived a little too late to salvage the damage done by one of the hottest and driest summers in several decades, Tanner. 
yeah, that, hopefully that's the last of our uh, weather news for today. But it will be interesting to see how the spring plays out. Wanted to kind of give a banking status update to our listeners today in the perspective of the banks that more than likely they deal with. Agricultural lending in U.S. increased by 8.1% in 2022. When you look at how that compared to other industries, the average of the industry for banking as a whole fell by 2.5%. So that's a positive statistic there. Ag banks have about $190 billion of farm and ranch loans on their books as of the end of 2022. And that compares to $427 billion of deposits. So that tells you there that a lot of agriculture right now is very liquid with cash on hand. Of course, from the banking side, Delaney, we would like to see that loans to deposit ratio higher because loans is how banks make their money. However, in 2022, 98.4% of farm banks were profitable. There is a very low delinquency rate right now. Less than a half percent of ag loans at farm banks are considered non-current. And the number of farm bank employees in 2022, Delaney, was up 800 from the year before to a little over 75,000. So thanks to the American Bankers Association for that data, to show that ag banks in the U.S. at least are doing quite well. Well, Tanner, Chinese pork processing giant WH Group LTD processed 30% more poultry last year, the company said on Tuesday, according to Reuters. It's continuing to diversify into other meats, however, to lower their cost and become more competitive. They said, especially given some of the recent news we've seen on Tyson's front of shutting down some poultry processing facilities, that poultry proves to be a big market that they might be able to expand upon. WH Group, which owns U.S.-based Smithfield Foods and also has operations in Europe, also reported a 34% rise in annual profit, Tanner. And they've also done some acquisitions and expanded their front in 2022. But I'll be curious to know, it's a little different here since they're not necessarily buying land, but you know we've got a lot of lot of legislation around foreign investors not no longer being able to purchase U.S. land, and I'm curious how something like this, where WH Group owns such a large portion of the U.S. food systems, and I guess through osmosis owns some of the land in which they are based upon, but how will that legislation affect our food supply chain system? Yeah, uh, yeah, time will probably be the only thing that can tell us how that will affect it, but uh, it'll again be something for us to watch. What we're continuing to watch is Russia's exercises, especially those that are off the coast of Japan, as they've been working together in safe space. According to this article, a team of two missile boats carried out joint missile strikes against a shield, stimulating an enemy warship. The target was successfully engaged at a distance of 62 miles by a direct hit of cruise missiles. The Russia Pacific Fleet fired a pair of these supersonic missiles to mock targets off the water of Japan. This was considered a acceptable maneuver Tuesday. This comes after Russia had conducted drills earlier this month in the Sea of Japan, also known as the East Sea, with a submarine hitting a land target over a 
621 miles away. There is good news for Ukraine as they have seen the arrival of British tanks as well as German Leop Le yeah, Leopold tanks. They have now been delivered. Their chancellor is stating that Ukraine has received this package and will begin training to deploy these into battle. Russia says that it is open to discussing the safety at the nuclear power plant with international observers. This comes now after a global accusation of Moscow using radiation blackmail. So things are still tense, still any across the pond. We'll monitor that one and continue to share that with our listeners. Senator, it sounds like things are also tense in Washington, D.C. after Representative Catherine Tai spoke to legislators at the Senate Finance Committee. The key takeaway from that committee testimony from Ambassador Tai was that she shared current plans or really lack thereof of plans. And that frustrated a lot of folks on the Senate Finance Committee. She was pressed pretty hard, it sounds like, to deliver plans on what countries she was focusing on for negotiations and how she was going to help reduce tariffs on U.S. products. And Tanner, the information she shared was not much. And she also shared that there is not a single country in negotiations with the United States right now to reduce tariffs on U.S. products, which is quite alarming for U.S. ag producers as ag commodities are one of the most important commodities that are exported and uh, have tariffs placed on them when we do business with other countries. But she did say that barriers facing farmers and ranchers are a, quote, top line priority for U.S. trade agenda, but many are calling into question her ability to do this job, seeing as there are no concrete plans to reduce tariffs and there are no countries we are negotiating with at current day. Yeah, that uh, might have an effect on the next article that I have to share here about the adoption of ag technology in the world of farming. USDA's big precision tech study is now showing at a higher adoption rate amongst the largest of farms. Of course, some of this technology is provided to us from our partners overseas, but driving home the point, the USDA has released their new study about the adoption of technology since the late 1990s. According to their study, Delaney, auto steer guidance was used on only 5.3% of planted corn acres in 2021 grew to 58% by 2016, and now is over 72% of all acres using global positioning satellites, as well as the technology evolved in agriculture. 40% of ranch acreages are also using GPS. Of course, data collection technologies, such as yield mapping and soil mapping are important to ag. The technology hesitation exists among farm managers with higher age demographics and lower acres. I don't think that comes as much as a surprise Delaney, to anybody else, but using this sat data and survey information, we're able to depict here that there is a 1.8% higher net return on average from the category that uses auto steer technology versus those that don't. I kind of expected that number to be a little bit larger, uh, but that is what their survey results provided. 
7% of farms with total cropland less than 200 acres had adopted the use of GPS technology. So we'll continue to watch that. Of course, it expands way further into the detail, but the key is that data is king. It is. I had that story on my list of news as well. So I think I'm out of news, Tanner. What about you? Well, that was the last piece. Glad to steal that, but you can take over the markets. Fantastic. Well, here as we head into opening session here on this Tuesday morning, we're starting to see corn a little lower as we head into the opening bell. May corn down half a penny to open at 647 and three quarters. New crop corn is also down a half a penny to open at 569 and a quarter. In the soybean pits here today, May trading nine cents higher in the overnight to open at 1451. New crop beans up five and three quarter cents will open at 1294 and a quarter. Hard red May winter wheat also up in the overnights, seven cents to open here at 867 and a quarter. Quick recap of where livestock ended yesterday. April live cattle added $1.90 will open this morning at a buck 64.90. April feeder cattle will clock in at $1.9762 and April lean hawks will ring the opening opening bell at 78.62 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's Tech Tuesday conversation. Absolutely, I have the CEO of Moliere, which is a nano bubble generating company, both with the technology and the equipment to do so. So let's share with our listeners what nano bubbles are. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. here on a Tech Tuesday interview. Pleasure to take this one on by myself and have a guest, Nick Reiner, uh, joining us today, CEO of Molier. And I cannot wait to share with you guys a little bit about this company because as I went through their website, I am blown away. But welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Why don't you start off for the listeners and tell them first about who you are and uh, what got you to where you are, and then we'll jump into the company history after that. Yeah, okay. So uh, I've been in the water business now about 18 years. Started with, uh, with General Electric with Gene Water. Uh, at the time, I was working on desalination. Uh, I going back in 2007 ish time frame. Um, three years was on the, the system side of the business, uh, taking basically seawater, converting to drinking water quality for industrial and municipal purposes. 2010, I had a shop opportunity to uh, join a, uh, my, the first startup I was part of. Uh, it was a reverse osmosis membrane technology sweat into UCLA's lifeline leads to Los Angeles. And the company was called Nanoage 2 I believe the commercial organization uh, as we grew that company. Eventually it was bought by LG, the Korean giants, who many people don't know, are also one of the leaders now in large treatment technology. Uh, stayed with them to the end of 2016, at which point I was looking for another technology to, uh, to partner with and um, met the co-founders of a company, Moliere, and they had just developed this nano bubble generator. 
And so uh, partner with them to help them bring technology to market. For six years later, we've been successful. 2,200 products now deployed globally across a wide range of industries with countries, about 75 employees and growing. Well, that's good to get your background. And now I'm excited to learn about what these nano bubbles are. So let's expand a little bit on that for the listeners. Sure. So when we're talking about nano bubbles, we are obviously talking about a bubble. We're forming uh, basically nanoscale gas bubbles that we really refer to as gas particles uh, out of any gas formed into any liquid. Now, in, in the agriculture community, which represents about 50% of our business, we're providing air or oxygen nanobubbles into irrigation water to improve water quality, to reduce biofilm, and ultimately to increase the root development, which leads to higher yields and healthier crops. The reason why, uh, what makes sorry, what makes these bubbles special is that we're, we're producing these air oxygen nanobubbles about 100 nanometers in scale. That's about the size of a virus, so 2,500 times smaller than a grain of salt. At that scale, the, the gas bubble, the air oxygen bubble, starts to behave completely differently from all of the bubbles that you or I are talking to. Um, way to think about normal is you put a gas into a liquid, like carbon dioxide into water to form soda water. Uh, when the bubble forms, it starts to rise. The size of that bubble dictates the speed at which it's going to rise. The depth you inject it dictates the distance it's going to cover before it reaches the surface of the pond. The intent is always to dissolve that gas into water or into liquids. Um, bubbles dissolve very slowly and they rise very rapidly. And therefore, it's very difficult to dissolve air, oxygen, or other gases into water efficiently. It makes nanobubbles interesting. If they are so small, they lack the buoyancy to rise to the surface of the Instead, you get these tiny gas particles suspended in the body of water, not only dissolving, but also uh, being able to participate in different physical, chemical, and biological reactions. So we start to study as a company, what are all the properties of these tiny 100 nanometer sized bubbles, the gas particles. And we look at things like the oxidative property, the ability to disinfect on that end, the charge of the bubble, meaning what it wants to bond to and what it can do once it's bonded to something. And so we think about those types of properties and others and think about how they create uh, value in different types of processes. And in agriculture specifically, we found that oxygen nanobubbles create extraordinary value for growers and they ultimately be able to increase yield. So that's the focus for agriculture and our listeners today is the oxygen in these nanobubbles. Correct. It's two things. We are dissolving oxygen very efficiently. We can see very high levels of dissolved oxygen in the irrigation water. And it's well understood in growing that the more oxygenated the water, the better. Not only does it reduce the presence of pathogens or disease in that water, it also improves the overall water quality so you have biofilm growth. And you ultimately, you get a healthier root zone, larger root mass. Uh, and in doing so, you're able to, in turn, get a better quality uh, fruit or vegetable that you're growing from. Interesting. Now, it's got to take some pretty sophisticated equipment to create these bubbles, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Um, I would say making nanobubbles is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> we spend a lot of time and effort, and unfortunately money, in, uh, in perfecting that process and the technology. So. We have, uh, we have, as a company, of nine patents and patent applications around different ways to make nanobubbles and different things you can do with nanobubbles. Um, what makes Moliere's method interesting is that we can scale the technology to any flow. So regardless of how much water you are pumping per day, 
we can develop an anabolic generator for that specific need. Um, it's also, uh, our technology is also very flexible in terms of water quality. So irrespective of the quality of the water you're using, whether it's coming from the pond, whether it's coming straight from the well, whether it's coming from the city, um, we're able to take that water and inject oxygen into that water and form trillions and trillions of 100 nanometer size gas bubbles. Uh, and it's cost effective. When you make bubbles as small as we do, not only do we dissolve that oxygen more efficiently, so we reduce the cost of oxygen or air, we just want to use air instead. Um, but we're also able to produce huge concentrations of these bubbles that are being stable in that water and then have their own added benefit from dissolved oxygen at a, at a more cost-effective affordable price relative to So for our listeners in agriculture, would you say the most widely used of your nanobubbles is in like greenhouse type growing or am I off base? No, you're correct in terms of the evolution. So, and if it's, if, when you start to think it, when you start to hear it, you start to say it's, that kind of makes sense. So as a company, when we started with limited resources, we focus more on smaller volumes of water. And therefore you end up in a greenhouse or a vertical farm um, where the volumes of water that are being used are significantly less than say, your typical Central Valley, California, you know, almond orchard, or, or even a you know soft roots berry um, So we start in that space, and we have I think close to seven or eight hundred nanobubble systems deployed globally into that greenhouse vertical farm controlled environmental activities. As we have grown, and we've been able to put more resources into deploying nanobubble technology at a larger scale, which includes larger systems, we are starting to expand into more of that traditional agricultural community, which we actually may, we may not find a smart agriculture because it is focused on growing more sustainably and efficiently, among other things, and deploy our technology at much, much larger scale to feed much more volumes of water, still at a very cost-effective price point to deliver the same value to the greenhouse, but now to a thousand acres or more out in Central Valley or you know Arizona or North Texas and elsewhere, you know, precision, precision irrigation is still plotted of wood. Yeah, that's fascinating to see because as I sit here on the on the Molaire website and look through the case studies that you have, I I never would have imagined the applicable uses for this from aquaculture to heck, you're even doing some projects on golf courses. How does that work? Yeah, so in that case, it's it's really about thinking again what these bubbles can do once they are formed in high concentrations suspended in water. So in aquaculture. It's somewhat analogous to what we're doing in, in irrigation. We're trying to efficiently dissolve high levels of, of oxygen into the water and form you know, huge concentrations of these 100 nanometer size bubbles that then add their own benefit. And so in salmon farming, we're delivering similar systems that we deliver in agriculture with the same technology, but lower the cost of oxygen and increase the, the stocking density and opening the fish health and fish locally. In surface water, when we think about golf course ponds, community ponds, even irrigation ponds, in that case, we're just using air because these nano bubbles have their own properties that will help disinfect and oxidize and help algae. We bring more air or oxygen near the sediment layer of the pond or lake so we start to digest some of that muck that builds up and start to promote the beneficial bacteria that's needed to improve the aquatic health of the water body. And that ultimately translates to the overall health of all the organisms that are living in that body of water, including fish and water. Uh, and that's sort of how we expand into other applications where the, the unique properties of these bubbles, the oxidative property, the surface charge of the bubble, the ability to reduce the surface tension of water so it flows more easily into soil or into other uh, other uh, formations, so to speak, 
uh, creates value. And that's how we think about the growth of the company as a whole, the platform technology. Yeah, that that's interesting because one of the next questions I'm going to have is what you're excited about growing and where the company is going to be headed. But first, I, I want to hit on another piece I found, found on the website about how this might be able to help uh, with cleanup or avoiding uh, disasters as far as uh, I'm using air quotes as I say this around, you know, maybe some toxation spills or something along those lines because of the rejuvenation of the oxygen levels. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So we've had a, a few instances where we were, quote unquote, used as a emergency deployment to uh, remediate or rehabilitate uh, somebody. Uh, so uh, most recently, uh, not recently, about a year ago, here in Los Angeles County, there's a stormwater channel, which had a, uh, what most likely was a chemical spill. We don't know the full background of it, probably less important. But the entire channel uh, went to an anaerobic state, which was all dissolved oxygen levels were depleted. And you know, what happens as a result is you start to promote uh, what they call anaerobic bacteria. We commonly uh, notice them when we start having that rotten egg smell, that uh, hydrogen sulfide smell that comes from what they call sulfate-reducing bacteria, which lives and thrives in anaerobic environments in the environments that lack air and oxygen. There are a lot of ways to aerate water. The problem is that in the aerating, you're typically forming large bubbles, they come to the surface that are volatile, Many dissolved chemicals and other hazardous material that might be in hazardous dissolved chemicals that might be in that body of water. So you want to avoid that. What's interesting about Moliere's technology is everything we do is below the surface because of the nature of these bubbles. So not only are we dissolving air oxygen below the surface without disrupting or volatilizing some of the, uh, the, the chemicals in that water into the air, but we're also providing all these bubbles that can replace the use of things like hydrogen peroxide or aldicide, herbicide, pesticides, other harmful chemicals that otherwise would do the job. So you get this entirely sustainable, chemical-free, very environmentally beneficial solution to those types of uh, scenarios of disaster. And we're looking for a rapid solution to be able to restore a body of water and bring it back to a, a more appropriate state or product health. That is really neat. So it's such a wide range of uses. What are you most excited about for the future of Moir? Yeah, it's actually what you hit on before. So we were really fortunate to, to get such rapid adoption in that greenhouse vertical farm uh, controlled environmental ag space. And when you put na oxygen nanobubbles from Moliere's technology into irrigation water in that space, you see lots of benefits that provide peace of mind, better plant resilience, but the vast majority of time it yields. And you see some significant yield improvement depending on what you're growing. And you have some leaky green producers and you yield at more than 50%. And not only is that you know, great economic story for the grower, but it also means you're able to lower your input costs or use input more efficiently to feed certain productivity. As we start to bring this to a much larger growing, so again, think of that traditional almond nut orchard in, uh, in Central Valley or, or you know, larger soft food growers or viticulture, to be able to help those growers utilize water more efficiently. And the most, the most uh, recent statistic I saw, 72% of the world's water goes to agriculture. And obviously drought is becoming a, a, a major concern. Drought is always local, but it's now becoming a global challenge and a global issue. Uh, if we can start to help growers who are utilizing much larger volumes of water than a greenhouse and help them use it more efficiently so we can lower their water input while still being able to give them yield improvements and reduction in, in chemical input costs and soil abatement costs through nanobubble technology, 
that not only creates economic value for the world, but it also solves some major real world challenges that are already present and certainly will get even more challenging over time. Yeah, I'm so glad we did this interview and we're able to share your story with our listeners. Uh, if they want to dive in deeper or follow along with you guys, what's the best way for them to stay in contact with you? Yeah, the best way to start out is the website, you know, Moliere.com, M-O-L-E-A-E-R.com. And we have um, uh, business development managers and channel partners uh, throughout the U.S., Mexico, Canada, Western Europe, uh, all the way down to Chile. So we're both well covered and we're continuing to expand that. But that's definitely the right place to start. Awesome. Well, this has been a privilege of mine and a privilege of ours on the podcast is having you as a guest. Thank you again so much. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. There you go, Delaney. I bet you never thought we'd have a conversation about nano bubbles before, wouldn't you? I don't think I would have. Yeah, so kind of neat. That's what Tech Tuesdays are all about, listeners. Of course, we're going to be here every day of the week so we can continue to bring you more fun and interesting conversations just like that. But what do you say, Delaney, for today? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's go.